All right, our scripture passage this morning for our sermon is from 2 Samuel 15. 2 Samuel 15, you can find this on page 249 of the Black Bibles that are in front of you. Page 249. Uh, we are continuing this uh, series on uh, really the, the whole kingdom of Israel and how God establishes his kingdom among them, but especially about David. And David is in some dark times lately. Uh, he's sinned grievously, and the Lord has allowed some of the consequences of that sin to ripple out uh, through his life, through his family's life. And today we're going to see how David himself comes in the crosshairs of those ripples. Uh, he has to walk down into a dark valley personally as he uh, approaches his own son's conspiracy and attempt to take over the kingdom. And so let's read about that starting in verse 13 and we'll, we'll speak today about faith in difficult times. And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword." And the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him. And they halted at the last house. And all the servants passed by him. And all the Cherethites and all the Pelethites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us? Since I go, I know not where." Go back and take your brothers with you, and may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives and as my lord the king lives, whatever my lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go then and pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons. Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. 
So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. While David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai the archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city, say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king. As I have been your father's servant in time past, so now I will be your servant. Then you will defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So whatever you hear from uh, their two sons, <clears throat> or from excuse me, from so whatever you hear from the king's house, tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there: Ahimaaz, Zadok's son. And Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send to me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. How do you tell how strong you are? How can you tell how strong you are? Uh, if anybody in the room has ever done any weightlifting at any time in your life, and I know maybe a few of you are currently involved in weightlifting activities, you know the answer, right? How do you tell how strong you are? By adding more weight, right? You add a little bit more weight than you did last time, and you see if you can do it. Uh, if you know you can do five reps of 150 pounds, you might try 160 or 165 to see if you can do three reps. And then 175 to see if you can do one rep. And the more weight you put on, the more you learn about your strength or maybe lack thereof. Well, I want to tell you this morning, this story really is about this idea, that this is not only the case physically, but it's also the case spiritually, that the way you know how strong you are is by the Lord adding in various ways more weight onto your life. In fact, the weight that God sometimes adds to our life, and, and by weight I mean difficulty, uh, times of suffering and struggle. Sometimes in the case of David, for example, it's struggle and suffering that is a direct result of our own sin sometimes. As God adds that weight it reveals how strong we currently are, and it has this beautiful effect of actually adding to our strength, actually growing us in our ability to, to lift those things that God is calling us to lift. Absalom, David's son, you'll remember, had killed Amnon, his other son, and had gone on the run. Last week we saw that fake photo op type reconciliation that really ended up being empty, because now Absalom has started a conspiracy to take over the kingdom and he is imminently about to march on Jerusalem. 
This whole scene is about how David gathers up his household, gathers up all that he has, and walks down into the valley and over the Mount of Olives into the wilderness where he's going to now go into exile. And so David has a dark, dark night ahead of him. How does faith respond? Now, I think there's something to learn for everybody here because whether you're in a dark time now or whether you will be in the future, 10 out of every 10 people in here will be in one at some point. Weight will come on your life that you don't even know about today, that you don't even know how to guess about. And in that moment, what will faith do? Well, let's look at three things that David does. And I'm personally very excited that we get, back to, we get to get back to looking at David as an example today, as a model, because lately it's not been that way, right? David's been a bad guy. But now we're back to seeing David strong in faith, although the strength doesn't look maybe the way we would guess it would. Let's look at three things. First of all, faith in dark times humbles itself under God's mighty hand. Faith humbles itself under God's mighty hand. Look at verses 13 through 23, this first big part of the story. In verse 13, David gets a message that nobody ever wants to hear. The message to David was that the hearts of all the men of Israel have gone after your son Absalom. In other words, everybody, David, has turned against you and has instead turned to your son. They want him to be king more than they want you to be king. Now, as the story unfolds, we're going to see that this message is a little bit over-exaggerated. That actually, a lot more people than this messenger thinks are still loyal to David. But David doesn't know that. David hears the message and he knows he's in trouble. He knows not only is he in personal trouble because his own son has turned against him. That would be enough, right? I mean, think of the pain of that. But he also knows he is in professional trouble because he's about to lose his job and his house. And he's in political trouble, which is more than just a thing that he's worried about because of his own personal status. But he's in political trouble, meaning the whole kingdom is in danger because he is actually at risk of leading the nation into a civil war. Jerusalem may actually get destroyed because of Absalom's foolishness, and David knows it. He's in all kinds of trouble. Any one of those things, the personal, the professional, the, the political, any one of those things might be enough to undo a man. But David is now being called to go through all of them at once. All of them at once. Loss of job, loss of son, loss of family and household, loss of political peace within the realm he is charged to protect. What a message in verse 13. Well, notice how David responds in verse 14. He gathers his servants. Arise, let us, what? What does he say? Flee. Uh, let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city of Jerusalem with the edge of the sword. Now, now some people read this and think, okay, here's another example. David is now a weakling. David has lost his stomach for battle. He, he does not want to stand up for what is right. But I actually think there's something completely different going on. And I would urge you not to see David in this story as weak. 
Because if we see David in this story as weak, then what that means is that always to accept the difficulty that God brings into our life must always be seen as weakness. But I want to tell you that what faith does when God calls us to go into dark things, when God calls us to bear more weight because he's going to put it on our lives, it is not weakness to accept that. It is actually the very strength of faith to accept what God is doing in your life by, as the Bible says, humbling yourself under God's mighty and awesome hand. David, when he packs up his bags and leaves Jerusalem, he is saving Jerusalem from ruin. He's doing something strong by personally sacrificing himself by taking up the weight that God is laying on. God, you can imagine David saying, you have called me to face my own son and the armies with him. God, I don't like that. God, I didn't ask for that. God, I wish it wouldn't happen. But God, I accept it because your hand has brought it. And so, Lord, help me to make the most of it. Help me to go in humility into what you are calling me to walk through. In fact, that's what uh, John Bunyan in The Pilgrim's Progress calls times like this for every Christian. He says every Christian sometimes has to walk through the valley of humiliation. <laughs> Y'all hear that? Valley of humiliation. It's, it's, it's just necessary. It's a part of what it means to follow God in this world. You will go into circumstances sometimes that will humble and even humiliate you. And the response that faith makes to that is not to kick against it all the time. It's not to get a whole bunch of self-pity or to get swallowed up by fear. Uh, I know those are the things I'm, I'm tempted to do or bitterness, you know, to begin to nurse that bitterness in my heart or maybe sometimes self-indulgence. You know, uh, since I'm suffering so much, I deserve to indulge myself in various things, whether good or bad. Or self-exaltation. God, I'm going to take myself by my own bootstraps and get myself out of this situation. Those are not the faithful response. The faithful response is to say, God, I believe that you are my heavenly father. And therefore, I believe that even the valley is ordained by you for my good. Even the darkness must be an instrument in your hand to bring me into a more close fellowship with yourself. And so David goes, it tells us, with his household, weeping as he went. Weeping as he went out of the city. It told us that there in verse 23. He wept, and the whole land wept as he crossed the brook Kidron just outside of Jerusalem and started to go up the Mount of Olives. David humbling himself under the mighty hand of God. You know, sometimes when you're driving in the mountains, the road that you're on reaches a place where the only way forward is to go into the tunnel. Right? Have you ever been there? Now, how many of you like driving through long, dark tunnels? I don't enjoy it. But yet, y'all know the roads that I'm talking about. You can't keep going without entering in to the tunnel. And that's what we're talking about here. David recognizes what God has done in his life. He has led him to a tunnel. He does not know how long or how dark that tunnel will get. And yet he knows to go forward with God, there's only one way to do it. 
humble myself and get inside and trust that God is going to provide a light. He's going to provide something to help me. Some rod or staff of the good shepherd is going to show up. And lo and behold, look at what God does in verse 18. God does something for David in the darkness right away. All the servants pass by him, all the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all 600 of the Gittites. And the king said to one Ittai, the Gittite, why are you going with me? In other words, you just signed up on my team a couple days ago. Shouldn't you go back to Jerusalem and swear allegiance to the next king, my son Absalom, instead of going with me on this dark, dark tunnel? Ittai, get back there and make a good life for yourself. What does Ittai say? Ittai says something very Christian, if we might say so. He says something very Ruth-like. Remember Ruth with Naomi? Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Whatever happens to you will happen to me. That's what Ittai does. He says, David, whatever will come of you, wherever you will go, whether it will be life or death, I'm going to be there too. Do you notice what God is doing? Leading David into darkness, David humbly submits himself under God's hand. And even in this small way, God is beginning to lift his servant up by providing a friend to go through the darkness with him, a faithful friend. Del Ralph Davis calls Ittai an island of fidelity in a sea of treachery. And don't you sometimes need that? An island of fidelity in a sea of treachery. He goes on to say, one of God's ways of supporting you is to give you a friend who stands with you in the darkest hour. Ittai's are God's gifts. Ittai's are God's gifts. And so notice, this, this passage is teaching us, it is never a bad idea to humble yourself before God. Now David knew that what he was facing was a result in some way of his sin, because God had told him that. Now, we have to be careful here. Just because something bad happens in your life, just because you've reached the valley, doesn't mean God is you know, attaching that to any one particular sin of your life. Unless he tells you that directly, you don't know it. But here's what you can always know. He means to humble you. He means to humble you. We all, and I hope you realize this, we all need humbling at all times. Now, and if you say to that, well, I'm humble enough. Okay, you just proved my point. You need humbling. And, and let me tell you, there are some times I felt that way. I'm humble enough. Oh, no. You can go lower. And in going lower, you're going to see God higher. And sometimes we wonder, okay, we know God is wise. We know God is gracious. We know God is righteous. We know God is good. So why does he leave his own children to such mess sometimes? Why does he do that? Why does he sometimes even leave them to their own sin sometimes? Why would he do that? To humble you so that you can have a more close dependence on him. So that your hands might become a little more empty of yourself. So that more room is there to fill it with himself. 
And that's what God is doing with David. So think about with yourself, how, what is God doing in your life that he's, he's meaning you to be humbled by? Think about that. What are those things in your life that God is trying to teach you, to humble you, to train you? Uh, how are you kicking against it? How are you screaming against it? How are you, you know, bathing yourself in self-pity parties against it? Rather than saying, God, let me put the dirt on my head and walk over the Mount of Olives. Let me weep a little bit, humbling myself under your hand so that I can actually learn what you want to teach me. That's the first thing. Faith humbles itself under God's mighty hand. But secondly, David shows us this. Faith rests itself in God's gracious favor. Even as David is humbling himself and weeping as he goes, David is also fighting to find rest. Now, have any of you ever been away from home for a long time? Do you like it? Sometimes people do like it, <laughs> but a lot of times we don't. Why? Uh, what is the difference between a hotel room and your room? The bed. Okay. Yep. There, that's where we're just going to start. The bed. Where else? What else is different? Established comforts. Established comforts. Uh, how about this? Simply this. The hotel room ain't your room, right? Your room is your room. There's a sense of like... Okay, I'm in my place amongst my things with my people. Everything is the way I want it to be. Rest. I don't know about you, but I find this. I like to travel, but when I travel, I never feel quite at rest. There's always, I'm always, I know I'm on the go and I feel on the go. When I get back home, rest. Well, faith is, is about rest. At its essence, that's what faith is. It's a resting of myself on God in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what faith is in its essence. Notice how David fights for that in verses 24 to 29. He's trying to find rest. Uh, it tells us that Abiathar, the priest, came up. And behold, there was Zadok as well, who was the high priest, who came with all the Levites. This is thousands of people who were charged to bear the Ark of the Covenant of God. And there they were with the Ark of God. They brought it out to the Mount of Olives. They set it down. They began to worship on the Mount of Olives. As all the, uh, the household of David passed by weeping, they were worshiping around the Ark. And when all the people had passed by, there came David, it says. And David said to Zadok, verse 25, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back. And let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. Now, this is rest. Par excellence. This is rest in its essence. Uh, this is so different than many of the other kings who will come after David and some of the ones like Saul who came before him. Where they use the ark how? As a rabbit's foot. Uh, that ark, uh, most kings would say, Zadok, come with me. I've got a use for you and I've got a use for that box. 
right? And I've got a use for the God that's symbolized with that box. I'll use him. Take the, the thing with me, and wherever the thing goes with me, God will surely bless me because I have his box. I have the symbol of his presence. Therefore, I'm going to be able to manipulate him to get him to do what I need him to do. That's the way most kings acted. In fact, in the chapter or in, in the beginning of chapter 15, Absalom did nearly that very thing. Uh, he organized the conspiracy by supposedly calling a worship service out in the, in the wilderness and gathered a whole bunch of people to worship God. But really what he did when he gathered them was whip them up into a frenzy against his dad. Don't you see the difference? Using God versus settling your heart in God's grace, favor, goodness, justice, everything that is true of God. This is what faith does. David says, leave the ark here. The ark belongs here. It's not God that's getting exiled from Jerusalem. It's me. God is sending me out. Let God stay where God wants to be. And if God shows me grace, if he shows me favor, then I know this. One day he's going to bring me back and I'm going to get to see the ark again. And I'm going to get to see the dwelling place of God again. But if the Lord were to say, I'm not going to show you grace, then I'm still going to approve of what God decides. My friends, this is, can I put it this way? This is a sign of real conversion and faith. And I can't stress it enough. This is one of the things that the darkness of hard circumstances is trying to draw out of us. Do you really love the Lord your God? It's easy to love the Lord your God when the Lord your God is showering goodies on you. It's not as easy to love the Lord your God when he's not. Unless you actually love the Lord your God because he's the Lord your God. And then, whether he's showering goodies or not, he's still the Lord your God. Uh, God is gracious, God is just and fair, whether he happens to be showing you some particular grace at this moment or not. In fact, whether he shows you any grace at all or not. He's still who he is, and he's still worthy of praise, worship, and trust. A truly converted person is the person who is pleased with the character of God no matter what comes to me. The false convert, the person who thinks they're a Christian but really isn't yet, is the person who likes God because God likes them. David is, has the opportunity here to show he's got the real genuine article. He has found his resting place. His home is in God. And even if that means God is going to send him out of the city and he's going to be far away from the ark and he's going to have to cry uh, out in the desert somewhere by himself, his heart still belongs with the Lord, and he still trusts that whatever God decides in his case, it's going to be a good decision. It's going to be a good decision. Listen, the fake Christian uses God. The real Christian enjoys God. 
Which are you? When the greater weight of suffering comes to your life, you'll find out which you are. And when that greater weight comes, you'll actually be able to grow Christian into someone who enjoys God more and more and more and more. It won't be easy. I'm not telling you it'll be easy. It wasn't easy for David to say this. We read Psalms where David is absolutely beside himself because he hasn't been able to go to God's house for months and weeks on end, and he just is heartbroken. This is heartbreaking for David, and yet David says, it's the Lord's job to show favor and to decide when and how he does it. I love the Lord nonetheless, and God is right nonetheless. I've said this before, but this is what real confession is. Real confession is taking God's side against yourself. And we need more people in this world, and, and actually we need more people in the church who aren't just Christians in name, but Christians in reality, who are willing to take God's side against themselves and to say, you know what? I'm wrong and God is right. You know what? I'm not concerned with my rights. I'm concerned with God's rights. And I have violated God's rights. How dare I? Let me humble myself before the Lord and ask him to teach me. David, in this beautiful way, is expressing that as he calls the priest right back to the city. He has to watch the priest carry the beloved ark right back to the mount where he's not going to be able to be. And he doesn't know if he's going to ever get back there. But he trusts that if God wants him to be back there, he'll be back there. And if he doesn't, he won't. But God will still be God and God will still be worthy of all his affection and all of his allegiance. Have you ever seen such great faith? Like I said, I'm glad to get back to looking at David and smiling. <laughs> rather than looking at David and, oh. But what this shows you is that sometimes faith takes a really strange route in its development, right? Sometimes, you know, please do not get the idea. I become a Christian and boom, here's the, here's the chart of my faith. You know, straight up, easy, right? Here's the chart of faith, Right? Often that's the case. And yet faith always comes out and shows itself, especially when the weight comes on. When push comes to shove, David says, God, I'm yours. I'm in your hands and I love it. All right, final thing. Faith trusts itself to God's sovereign will. Verses 30 to 37 shows us how David is weeping and mourning as he sees at his back the Levites carrying the ark away, and ahead he sees over the Mount of Olives the vast stretches of wilderness that he used to have to live in when he was on the run from Saul. Here he is again, back at that lifestyle. He's going to be on the run, running for his life. Don't think for a moment David was excited about this or that this was easy. It tells us in verse 30, as he went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, he wept as he went. He was barefoot with his head covered. And all the people with him covered their heads and they went up weeping as they went. And David was told more bad news. 
By the way, David, your top advisor, Ahithophel, has now joined Absalom. Talk about insult to injury. And yet notice what David does, verse 31. He begins to pray. In his weeping, feet uncovered, head covered, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Defend me, God. David begins to bring his grief, his brokenheartedness to the Lord. And he shows by prayer that he trusts that God will and is able to carry out his sovereign will in his life and in his case. And lo and behold, verse 32, once again, in fact, the word behold is there. Behold, as David came to the summit, that very place where the ark had been, had been set and where the priest had been worshiping as all the household of David passed by, right there comes Hushai the archite. Another friend with a funny name. In fact, it calls him in verse 37, David's friend. There he is, right at the top of the mountain. And what does Hushai look like? Well, he doesn't look like much help. His coat was torn, and there was dirt on his head too. And David said, Hushai, if you go with me, you'll just be a burden to me. I got enough sad folks with me. Uh, how about this? How about you're the answer to the prayer I just prayed? Praise God. Why don't you go back to Jerusalem and tell Absalom you'll be his buddy? And then you can feed me the information that you learn within the court of Absalom. And while I'm out in the wilderness, God will be providing for my rescue through your agency. Notice. Listen, this is what faith does. Faith brings brokenheartedness to God in prayer, but faith also is not slow to see the answers when they come. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I would, when I got to that top, I mean, most of the time my faith is like this. I would get there praying, and then I would see old Hushai with the coat torn and the dirt on his head and think, oh, yeah, Lord, all right. You sent me another fellow mourner. I guess I better keep praying. The help I'm asking for, I mean, clearly it ain't him because he's a mess. And yet David, with the eyes of faith, said, you know what? Maybe old Hushai is just the guy that God is sending me. And actually, as the story goes on, he becomes the guy. The priests whom he sent back get information, send it by way of Hushai to David. And David learns in the wilderness all of Absalom's movements, which helps. This is the way that God uses to restore David back to his household and back to his throne. Listen, sadness, weeping, mourning sometimes is inevitable. But by faith, you can learn what to do with that. The Bible does not tell you that to become a Christian means to get rid of all painful emotions. Amen? The Bible does not say you will never have painful emotions again. What it says is this. you got a place to bring your painful emotions. The Bible calls it lament. When you take your painful emotions to the Heavenly Father, one writer says, Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. 
It's a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's not only how Christians grieve, it's also the way Christians praise God through their sorrows. Lament is a pathway to praise when life gets hard. And so David brings his concerns to the Lord quickly in prayer. And he's got his eyes open as he prays. He's praying with his eyes open to look for how God might be even then answering his prayer. And he sees it in the form of his ragged friend Hushai. Wow. Isn't that good? Sometimes prayer requires discipline and effort. Because you don't feel like praying. But read the Psalms. The times when you don't feel like praying are the best times for prayer. Psalm 3, by the way. You might want to keep your finger in Samuel, 2 Samuel and go to Psalm 3 just real quick. Because I want you to actually get your eyes on it. Psalm 3. And I don't have a pew Bible page, but I didn't write that down, but... Psalm 3, maybe somebody can call it out if they get it. But at the top of Psalm 3, it tells you this was a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So just in case you think, all right, David's prayer in 2 Samuel, that doesn't seem like a very good prayer. He says, Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And that seems just like a, what a lame prayer. Wait. David said more than that. David felt more than that. That's just giving you the short version. Psalm 3 is the longer version. Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for God in him. God has abandoned him. He sinned against God and God is cutting him off. It's time for a new king. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord. And he answered me from his holy hill. In fact, on the holy hill, there he is, Hushai. Hushai, the ragged friend that God uses to answer me from the summit. And now I know that as I bring my pain to God, God is able to exchange my pain eventually for joy. Now listen, this very route that David took down the Mount of Zion, down into the Valley Kidron, up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, is actually the very route that our Lord Jesus Christ took on the night he was betrayed. Go to John's Gospel. It tells you Jesus and his disciples crossed the brook Kidron and went up the Mount of Olives And Jesus, it says, laid himself down and wept and sweated like great drops of blood as he too wrestled with a dark tunnel that his father had put before him. And Jesus, even better than David did, said, God, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is even better. David did it just for his own personal spiritual development like you and I. That's our cross. It's just for training. Jesus did it for all of us. His cross is for redemption. Ours is just training. His is redemption. And so Jesus went covering his head, weeping as he went, calling out, your will be done, not mine, so that 
people like me and you could know that our dark valleys are only for a short time. They're not forever. Jesus took on the forever dark valley so that you never have to take it, Christian. Whatever you're going through, it is a temporary weight that will pass away and be replaced with an eternal weight of glory. And so you can absolutely, like David, trust yourself to God's sovereign will. You can take your tears to God. You can take your pain to God. You can ask him to help. And you can open your eyes to see the unlikely ways that he will help you. Knowing that whatever he calls you to walk through, Jesus walked before you. And Jesus took the worst of the bitterness and the worst of the pain the very pains of hell itself, so that I will never have to. Now, isn't that good news for faith in difficult times? Faith humbles itself under God's mighty hand. Faith rests itself in God's gracious favor. And faith trusts itself to God's sovereign will.